You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. This is Two Guys Talking Wine. I am your host, Andre Pru, joined as always by my co-host, Michael Pincus. Well, I guess I'm not really the host for both. It's kind of a co-hosting thing, event, yep. but you are taking the lead on this one because I think it's the topic you most want to talk about. Well, it's also, I think, house rules, and I don't know if anyone can hear this, but there's some construction happening below us, so it's a happening place in midtown Toronto tonight. That's, that's why we're drinking wine, because you got to block that out. So we're talking about, first off, what's in our glass, and I guess tonight we both have the same thing in our glass. Well, we are together tonight, uh, which is a rarity. Uh, tonight we're the 2013 Norm Hardy County Cab Franc Unfiltered. I love how he puts that unfiltered part in there, so that when you start seeing sediment in the wine years later you're not like whoa why is that so much well we're only halfway done the bottle we might get some crystals in the bottom of this one not there's anything wrong with that nothing wrong with that this is a terrific county cab franc i think it's a lovely 2013 cab franc that's that's where i think it comes from uh where i have to stop you from saying it's a totally lovely cab franc um 11.9 alcohol so it's pretty light as far as that goes but you know there is a green Kind of a green pepperish note. See, I think it's the thing where we were talking a little bit about Chinon before we turned the microphone on, and you're not a fan. I'm actually a fan, but frankly, I would compare this to a very good Chinon, where you, you got mean? a lot of haven't fruit you, in you've it. You've been to Chinon. I haven't been to Chinon. Oh, I've been to uh, to Bordeaux and to Beaujolais. I didn't okay. make it up there. Okay. But uh, I drink a lot of Chinon whenever I get the chance, and you've got to like bell pepper if you're going to get into Chinon. But I like it because I eat a lot of beef, and for me, it pairs well with beef. But this, uh, I find it has a lot more fruit than even Chinon. So if you like Loire-style wines, if you like Chinon, this is definitely where to go. If you like wine with food, if you want something that's not big and meaty, big and bouncy, this would be a way to go a little bit more elegant, a, a very little bit good lighter. Who album at that, too. Absolutely. But, um, no, I, I would agree with you. I think the fruit is lovely, but definitely on the nose. There's all that green pepper, that herbaceous note to it, which I, I think a lot of Ontario wineries are starting to get away from yes so that's that's what i think and that's why i said it's a good 2013 because it's got that uh, i think herbaceous. this is more typical what you get from prince edward county cabernet franc and it's not a bad thing it just might not be to your personal tastes but if you had the norm hardy 2012 hot summer though didn't have that bell pepper hot summer though i know but i'm just saying i'm just saying if you you've got to like as henry your your dog is licking my ear i can't believe this it's like a little zoo you got here. Yeah, I know. So, and, and, <laughs> and Stella, the and your cat is looking at me like I've I've got treats. Everybody's looking at me that way. All, All right, right, enough so rambling you... about the wines. We're going to talk a little bit about our personal biases. Personal biases. All right. Okay. So if you're the host, uh, I guess we should start. What is? I uh, we should have done this our very first podcast. But yeah, what should've. is? What is your personal bias when it comes to wine? Are there grapes that you like? better than some is there styles that you like what uh, what are your personal biases when it comes to i guess getting a bottle of wine in front of you 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 know this is something that i've spent a lot of time thinking about because i am still fairly new to writing i mean i've been doing it for five years which i know for some people sound like a lot but in terms of wine writing that is not a long time i've tasted maybe a thousand wines a year so i mean i've tasted five thousand wines but I mean, Michael, how many wines do you think you've tasted in your career as a wine writer? Well, it's over 12 years now, so you got to assume if you're tasting everything from vintages, that's, you know, every two weeks, they call it at minimum 120 wines. So I've lost track. Well, there you go. 
I mean, as far as personal biases are concerned, I do have wines and grapes that I like, but I need to disclose this right away. The more you taste wine, the more you learn what things are supposed to taste like. And even if it's not something you're going to rush home and drink and guzzle down, you know what tastes good and what tastes bad. And I've been uh, ragging on Ontario Syrah for a little while. I know some people are going to be cringing at the thought of that. But I've finally cringing shut at, up about it. Cringing at you, just the fact that I, yeah, that, that I would badmouth Syrah, where I do know that there's good Syrah from the province. I, I think I think there's a lot of winemakers in Ontario who many years ago cringed at the idea of making Syrah to begin with, and I I, I think now a lot of them have come around as as being a good wine. But it still doesn't fit into something that's on my collection. I've been lucky enough. Uh, Cassaba have a couple of very good uh, single vineyard or, or sections of vineyard Syrahs coming out. I don't know if I'm going to rush to buy them, even though I scored them very high. I knew they were very good. But to my personal bias, especially from Cassaba, I'd rather have some of their uh, private reserves, uh, Cabernet Francs or a warm vintage Cabernet Sauvignon, or even some of the Chardonnays that they make that unfortunately sell out like two minutes after they go on sale. I, I, have, to, I have to say that uh, like Creekside, Yes. When it comes to Syrah, now thankfully they don't call it Shiraz anymore, but uh, their Syrah is is pretty consistent year after year. The only one that gets me that they make is the Broken Press, which is no mm-hmm. longer a Broken Press. It's something they actually make every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they actually don't break a press every year to make the wine, mm-hmm. but they still took the name. But they really have done a fabulous job of making that, that Syrah. And elevated it to you know world class as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean the thing is, as far as personal bias goes, if anyone comes to my house and they take a look at my wine collection, I have Riesling, I have Gamay from this country and from Beaujolais, mm-hmm. I have Cabernet Franc, I have some Cabernet Sauvignon, but most of that belongs to my girlfriend. I have a handful of Pinot Noirs, and I have some Chardonnay. And I mean, that's the stuff I'm keeping because that's the stuff that I like. I mean, there's probably a few bottles of other stuff in there that's kind of mixed in there. But as far as personal bias goes, I love Cabernet Franc. If if I went to a desert island and all I could bring from my collection are my Cabernet Franc, that's exactly what I'd bring with me. I I see. I guess I have a different uh, desert island wine. And this may come as a shock to you. You're going to say Chardonnay, aren't you? I am not going to say Chardonnay. I've been here, and and Andre's been to my house, and he's seen my cellar. So yes. to really tell you, you know, what is in my cellar is, because I have a, a, an array of of stuff there. Um, but my desert island wine, let's start there, would be Rhone Valley. Believe it or not, I find north or south. You know what? Anything from the Rhone. I love Rhone wines, and I know I I love Ontario, but there's a couple of reasons why, and and maybe they're stupid, but I've talked to many people and they say, oh, I'd always get champagne as their their wine for a desert island. And I'm thinking, put it this way, I'm on a desert island, Andre, and somebody has to be sending me these wines because they are not just, I can't take that many, they can't just materialize from somewhere. Somebody knows I'm on this desert island, they're keeping me on this island, henceforth they're sending me enough wine to keep me on this island. Champagne, sooner or later, they're not going to send anymore because they'll be broke. But the value in Rhone Valley wines is fantastic. And I want them to keep sending me wine. If I'm going to be on a desert island and that's where they're going to keep me, I want something that the guy who is keeping me there can afford. (laughs) And then henceforth, I keep getting wine. I'm actually shocked to hear you say that because the thing is, like, uh, I mean, you and I, we spend a lot of time talking about what we know Ontario does well and we've both kind of gravitated to the same thing 
We drank a bottle of Gamay earlier this we evening did. from Chateau des Charmes. And that's, uh, that's a bias Franc. of mine. I think Ontario should be making a heck of a lot more Gamay Noir. Mm-hmm. I think we make great Gamay. It's uh, it's one again one of my personal bias. You put a you put a gamay in front of me, you probably have three and a half stars from me before I even open the bottle, and that's what I'm talking about. That's when a we, bias. When we talk bias, you got three and a half stars from me. You've either got to totally disappoint me and make me go, you know what, you get nothing from me. But or I mean, that being said, though, I mean even thinking about it is we have certain wineries that maybe don't make don't knock it out of the park every year, but are known for making gamay, but. I think even in a bad year, it's still pretty Gamay good. Gamay is a great grape, and it continue, uh, in a bad year, that's Actually, where you really find We need, we need out. to stop saying bad year. We should say cooler year, because when we're talking cooler bad year, year in Ontario, we're talking about the years where we're getting... Where Cab Sauve can't be made, yeah. where Syrah is touchy-feely. You know what I mean? It's not going to oh, be Oh, you mean good. bell peppery. Bell peppery. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. So Gamay, that's a definite bias towards me. Uh, Andre and I earlier had a conversation, privately, of course, but I'm going to make it public now. Uh, for Zinfandel. Now, myself, yes. I love a complex Zinfandel where you like a simplistic Zinfandel. I do to like start simplistic with. Zinfandel. And that, again, is one of my bias. I love Zinfandel, but over the years I have developed a bias where I don't want it just to be plummy, cherry, sweet. I want complexity in my Zinfandel. And I, 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 I've tried Zinfandel where they blended certain grapes into it. Where they made it a little bit better, but still kept the main grape 75 plus percent. Still I like zin. that too. I do like that too, but I find that it doesn't necessarily make things complex as much as, as much as it just takes some of the edge off Zinfandel. Because let's face it, the simplistic Zinfandels that I like can be a kick to the jaw. It will knock you out if you're not careful. And I'm but okay with that. You're talking probably the alcohol, which is... You Al- know. Alcohol, uh, tannin... Uh, fruit I mean, forwardness. It's just like everything. It's it's a it's a spinal tap wine. It's ter- everything's turned to eleven when you're talking about it. Simplistic. Well, simple. again, going back to my my thing about uh, Gamay. Sometimes, well, no. When you put a Zinfandel in front of me, we're starting the scale at three and a half, which is where my my reviews start. Yes. Anything below that, I just don't review. I don't find it that I I liked it or whatever it comes down to. My personal bias. You throw a bottle of Zinfandel. I'm going okay. You've got three and a half just for putting a Zinfandel in the bottle. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're going to get that three and a half automatically because after I taste it, I make my choice. Yes. Is this is this something that, that falls within my wheelhouse or falls within something I think should be scored at three and a half or better? Or is it something that, you know what, it's something I've tasted a hundred times before. It's not that great. It shouldn't be reviewed past, you know, it's on the shelf. Okay, well, we've talked about the things that we love as far as personal biases are concerned. But we concerned. haven't talked Cab Franc, which I know is a bias of both of us. You know, know we, we, can, we, can, we can get to that. But I actually have a question right now, though, because I know this is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and I kind of touched on at the beginning, is uh, what is one wine for you that when you taste it, you absolutely loathe tasting it, but you know that it's when you've hit a good one? Probably uh, these days, uh, Pinot Gris. 100%. Pinot Gris. It is the most bland, the most boring, the most innocuous wine you can taste from so many different places. But when you taste a good one, you go, hmm, that's what a good Pinot Gris should taste like. And what does a good Pinot Gris taste like? I know you said that a boring boring one or a bad one is bland. And and frankly, there's a reason why 
probably 70% of the restaurants in the city of Toronto pour Pinot Gris as a house wine is it is the turkey dinner. I'm going to take that one from Rick Mansicle. It's it's the turkey dinner of wines. It'll pair with everything because it has no taste to it. And then that's actually why a lot of people pour it is because it has no taste. It's white wine. So what does a good one taste like? You know what? To me, I really can't put my finger on what a good one tastes like. It's just got to taste like something and it's got to be different and unique. And put it this way. Uh, there's two that come to mind, and they're both from Ontario. Um, cassava. No. Serious? Well, the cassava was really nice. That like little pink one, the yeah, uh, Jennifer's. Love that wine. Lovely. A little bit of sweetness was really good, but I'm thinking of something like uh, Huff Estates. Oh, yeah, that's good, too. <laughs> Their Pinot, you know, the 2013, if I'm not mistaken, had a little barrel uh, fermentation yeah, yeah, to yeah. it. But that was, that was totally different. Jesus. I, I'm sitting here. I, I could not agree with you more on, on Pinot Greek. Granted, I don't mind a wine that tastes like nothing because I like to cook often, and it's nice to have. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say cook like n- nothing. It's just like everything is so muted on it that you don't have to worry about having something wonky if you put a half a you bottle in a sauce. To, or you something. don't have to start taking notes about it because yeah. if you put down Pinot Gris white wine, you would have pretty much the note you need. But I just got really excited talking about the Huff Pinot Gris that I'd completely forgotten about, and as soon as you said it, I can remember instantly fabulous. what it tastes like. Coyote's Run is making some fabulous Pinot Gris. I think, again, 2013, the estate. I am almost positive because Jeff Aubrey and, and Dave Shepard, uh, I am sure they invite me down to the winery just to show me that Pinot Gris is different. I am sure that they are like, damn it, we're going to show Pincus this year. I am positive because, you know, I have told them on more occasions than not, hey, it's Pinot Gris. It's, it's bland. It's boring. What do you want from it? But year after year, I think they now make two or three different Pinot Gris every year. And one of them makes me go, hot damn, that's pretty good. I should come to think of it. I think one of the first wines from Ontario that I loved, and it's interesting to go back and taste it now because I still like it. But not as much as I did when I was just dipping my toes in the in the pond. And this is before I even, this is even before I was thrown to the, the lions and started writing about it. It was um, the Malavoir Pinot Gris. Oh, very nice. And uh, this is like going fruity. back to like I think 2007 would have been the first vintage that I tasted. Very fruity, very uh, not elegant, but fruity mm-hmm. and almost sweet. But mm-hmm. they knew what they wanted to do with Pinot Gris. They made it as Pinot Gris, not they didn't label it Pinot Grigio and make it in Pinot Gris style. Yep. They made it Pinot Gris, and that's what they did. I, I think there's regions in the world that are doing great Pinot Gris. I think hey, we were at that, that, that dinner together where we had that Sicilian Pinot Gris that had that like oily texture and it was like 10 bucks, but it tasted like something. Very different. Look at that. Told you. And then you also get um, New Zealand. I think New Zealand is making great Pinot Gris. I've never had one. You've got to try some New Zealand Pinot Gris. Name Henry, one. for God's sakes, man. It's just Henry! Pinot, it's just Pinot Gris. But I, but I mean, New Zealand, some really good Pinot Gris. Oregon, some really great Pinot Gris is coming from Oregon also. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody, when they're talking about to, to move everything back to Ontario, everybody talks about Prince Edward County as doing great Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. What are they doing downstairs? Yeah, let's pause this just for a second so we can see if that's coming through. So after a brief sound check, if anyone is really paying close attention to this, they are doing some construction on what will be a burrito place below us. Woo! Review on the wine list to come at a later date. 
But and, late and, and on the burritos, obviously. <laughs> no kidding. Before we turn this into the Pinot Gris podcast, we found a lot of Pinot Gris that we just loved. So, so Oregon, I was saying Oregon, great. But Prince Edward County, everybody says Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for uh, for Prince Edward County. But I would tell you this: if they're looking for a third grape, I have found Andre's pouring himself another glass. Um, I have found a lot of really great. Pinot Gris in the county. And when next time you're there, I don't know if you've done this. Oh, I've had the Huff. Huff, very good. Uh, there's the guy right across from Carlo Estates. I think he's Hubs Creek. All yes. he's making is uh, Chardonnay. Uh, no, you know what? I think it's just Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris. That's what he's making. And I'll his, check it out. And his theory is that every great wine region in the world specializes so he's specializing in the two grapes that he feels the county is doing the best pinot noir and pinot gris and i i cannot disagree with pinot gris in in prince Edward county now i know we want to touch on cabernet franc here because we're getting down to the last few minutes of the the podcast here and we are going to go into an in-depth cab franc fest oh i'm sure we are hashtag franc fest for one of these podcasts, but I do more, more think, times than one. I have a feeling. Well, and I think we need to talk about the personal biases that come with uh, Cabernet Franc because uh, we're sitting and sipping on this Norman Hardy one. And you've said a couple of times you've alluded it. I don't know if our listeners understand, but you're n- not necessarily the biggest fan of an overly green Cabernet Franc. So we talked about Chinon and, and you know what? For me, there's a line. And for me, an underripe Chinon is the line. But I love green notes in my Cabernet Franc. But I also love it when they're fully ripe. And I like that tobacco. I like that raspberry. Yeah. There's a little tobacco here, but I mean, it's a smoked green bell pepper that is really just almost overtaking the whole wine. I don't agree with that. What do you? I think it's like perfectly integrated. Are you nuts? I'm getting like raspberry. Don't make me break your glass on raspberry, your house. cranberry. Sour cherry with a little bit of green pepper that on green that. Peppers. Okay, there's more than a little bit. Okay, Let, let's just say I've got some Thanksgiving cranberries on my plate, and someone's put a nice roast green pepper on top of that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. There's cranberry and green pepper, and that's. But we got fruit. I mean, a chinon that's under the beginning. Well, I no think fruit. as it gets more air to it, I think the green pepper is really starting to show. I really think it's 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 more green pepper now than when it started. It was more herbaceous when we started, but now it's gone almost full on green pepper. Now, now here's the thing: is like when I focus on something, red pepper. when I when I when I focus on something, I, I tend to obsess because I want to know everything and, and everything about it. And I can literally say, I've traveled the world looking for Cabernet Franc at this point. When I went to Bordeaux, I singled out Saint Emilion so that I could taste what Cabernet Franc tastes like there because I wanted to compare it to. Ontario just to see what we were doing there because I know that they'd and it was really really interesting because they'd had some cool vintages if you want to insult a Bordelais winemaker tell them that their wine has green notes to it because I'm sipping there tasting this 2012 Bordeaux that has these beautiful little subtle green notes to it it's just like oh my god this tastes like great Ontario wine and the look on the winemaker's face when I told him that he had green notes in his wine, it's almost like I reached into his chest and pulled out his heart, and it I couldn't backtrack. But, I mean, it's, I guess, to their own personal biases, is they to them, green means bad, where in Ontario, it's become the norm. Hey, stop it. Stella's not going to talk to you, as we aren't. 
Anyways, look, I guess my personal biases with Cab Franc don't really apply. I like Cab Franc green or ripe or cocoa or lean. Well, or... I, I remember, I, I guess, 2001, 2002, 2003, where there was a lot of green pepper in the And, and I think Ontario winemakers have, have strived hard to get those green vegetative notes out of these wines. And to taste them again brings me back to uh, 2002 Southbrook, uh, 2001 uh, wines that had all of that green pepper, roasted red pepper note. And everybody would say, well, that's a fault now. And it's not something they, they want in the wine. Like if you look at, uh, granted, 2012 uh, Red Shale, which you know we had mentioned earlier this evening yep. between you and I. There's no green in that whatsoever. Granted, nope. hot vintage. Yep. But it is. There is nothing about green about that. There's no herbaceous. Nope. There's no green pepper. There's no roasted red pepper. It's pure fruit and tobacco. And but I mean, it's the thing about Ontario wine is that you'll take like the 2012 Red Shale, which is a beast. Like it's it got a, a lot of tannin. It's it's a big. It's. I mean, it's as close to a Bordeaux style wine as you're going to get from Ontario from a very hot vintage. I mean. Uh, obviously not blended with anything, but I mean, as far as Franck alone is concerned, it's a big wine. But you pour that side by side next to the 2013 Rosewood Origin Cabernet Franc, which is elegant, has tons of fruit on it, but still has those savory notes that just poke through. I mean, it's correct to the style, and it's well put together. I'm okay with poking through. This is not poking through anymore. I love it anyways. I, I didn't say I didn't like it. I'm just saying it's you're, <laughs> no, no, you're no, trying no, no. to sell me no, Michael, on the, Michael, on here, the bell here, pepper. Here's the, thing. here's the thing, though, is you said you like it, which is fine. That means that you, you like it, take it or leave it with the bell pepper. I love this. I would sit and drink a lot of this in a sitting. I would sit and drink this without... Uh, I can't even think of the word. I would sit there and just drink bottle after bottle out of the bottle if I could and make that socially acceptable. And, and he's done that before. There's pictures to prove it. <laughs> Anyways, I think we should wrap this up before we go all franc. So we've talked about Pinot Gris. We've name dropped like a dozen wineries. So we you, you guys talk- are welcome for that. You can make your shopping list for Pinot Gris and Cab Franc. We've talked Gamay. We have Obviously. talked a little we've bit talk- Gamay. We've talked Zinfandel, which is not an Ontario grape in any way, shape, or form. No, but we both love it. Love, I love Zinfandel. <laughs> it's actually interesting because for Ontario, we have fairly similar palates, I would agree, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. But it turned out that when it comes to California, we're completely on different pages. We are not on the same page. That's unfortunate. I because I like good barbecue, and Andre has no idea what good barbecue is. I, I do too. No good barbecue. Oh, come on. on. <laughs> Let's turn this into a food pies next time. Anyways, thank you for listening to two guys talking wine. I'm Andre Pru. I'm Michael Pingus. You can download this podcast if you haven't already from two guys talking Visit my website, andrewinereview.ca, for all sorts of fun content, weekly reviews of a couple of Ontario wines and whatever the hell else I'm drinking that week. And you can find me at michaelpincuswinereview.com, where we've got, oh heck, there's so much on there, I've even lost track. And a special thank you to the burrito place doing construction below for the background noise and the musical soundtrack that even John Williams couldn't rival. Have a great night. Good night. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe at twoguystalkingwine.com.